Alrighty then. So, this is a first for the channel. Somebody decided to commission me to read the first chapter of Human Weaponry, written by Tunnel Rat. I was a fan of both Tunnel Rat and myself, and he wished to treat himself for his birthday, and commissioned me to do it. I got in contact with the author, and he's given the nod, so here we go. Thank you very much, Andrew Allen, for the commission, and I hope that you have a fantastic birthday. On to the story. Human Weaponry, Chapter 1 written by Tunnel Rat. We had been passively watching them for some time. They called themselves Humanity. We knew that they were on the verge of discovering faster-than-night travel, so we waited for them. We hoped to open trade and such between them and the Federation, even though our space travel technology was significantly more advanced. There was still much that they had discovered that we were interested in, especially their advances in genetic engineering. However, that is not what I am examining. I am the Second Fleet Small Arms Specialist for the Galactic Federation. I am to meet the Human Ordnance Specialists. An American, right? They're still fractured into multiple countries. Curious. I am to meet with him and learn about American small arms and compare our relative equivalents. The human cruiser is due to dock with our station within the next cycle. Strangely, they developed military ships so soon after discovering FTL. I have to download the visitor's language onto my translator. English, it is called. I watched as the human ship grew closer to our station. It was long, dark grey and black and angular. Strange, the ship had a front and a back, not unheard of, but rare. As it grew closer... I could see why. It appeared that the front of the ship was a large cannon. I'd have to ask the one that I'm meeting about it. I could also see multiple point defense turrets. At least, I think that's what they were. They looked nothing like the pulse laser turrets used on my species' ships. As it began talking, I could see English writing on the side. It said, USS Indianapolis. I was to enter the human ship and would be escorted to the armory. I made my way towards the dock. I saw one small problem. The average human was a bit shorter than me. I stood about seven feet tall. I made my way towards the hangar connection, which was a relief. The door was designed for small craft, more than tall enough for me. There were many humans wearing what looked like a formal white military dress, some in more practical combat dress, carrying long, strangely shaped weapons and what appeared to be a smaller weapon in the case than the waist. They were vastly different from me. Four limbs. They were bipedal and had long manipulators on the end of each arm. They had two forward-facing eyes, indicating a predator species. But unlike most, they didn't seem to have any natural weaponry. I was in formal military attire, but mine was grey rather than white. Compared to them, I have two more eyes, I also have two main arms, but I have four additional smaller arms down my abdomen. I moved towards the two humans that would take me to the armory. One would be giving me the demonstration. When I got near, the two individuals straightened their bodies and raised one of their arms to their heads and extended their manipulator straight. This wasn't a surprise, however. I had been told that this was a standard American military greeting. It showed respect. One addressed me. Welcome to the USS Indianapolis, CA-35. It is a pleasure to meet you. I am Sergeant Garrick, 
and this is my technician, Mr. Thomas. I apologize, but I cannot pronounce the name that they gave me for you. How would you like to be addressed? Not a problem. Appreciation for concern. Translated to the English alphabet. My name is heard as Ozus. My rank is Second Fleet Small Arms Specialist. Very good, Owa. I'm required to ask. Are you personally carrying any weapons on board the ship? No. Why would I carry a weapon onto an allied ship? Every human with a military rank you will meet today, which is a majority of them, will have a sidearm holstered on their hip. Why would you feel the need to be armed at all times? Call it insurance. We don't necessarily need to go get weapons to repel borders. We also don't have any claws or natural armor like you. It made sense. It was just a different doctrine. It still was a bit perplexing that many armed individuals' accidents are bound to happen. Very well. I look forward to learning about your weaponry. Right, this way, sir. <clears throat> sir, ma'am. My species is not sexually dimorphic like yours. Just call me Osus. Apologies, Osus. We are still getting used to the whole interacting with the alien species thing. I followed the two of them through the hangar, where I saw several smaller military craft. Most of the passing humans looked at me, if only for a moment. We made our way through the two doors, then one that looked like two men putting their eyes in front of a scanner to open. Inside was a large internal hangar, filled with industrial-looking equipment, wall mounts filled with small arms, small and larger vehicles, as well as what looked like a testing range. Sergeant Garrick turned to me. Thomas here can fill you in on any technical questions you might have. Where would you like to start? I glanced curiously at the fearsome-looking vehicles. A strange form of propulsion. It looked as if they moved on large metal belts on either side of the main bulk, which had what looked like a large cannon, as well as many smaller ones. Those could wait, though. We have time. On average, your soldiers carry two weapons, correct? A primary and a secondary. That is correct. Standard American military infantry are issued with an MA-27 rifle, as well as an SIG M-23 for a sidearm. There are other weapons used in a more specialized roles, but these are the basics. He showed me to a table, which looked to feature everything an American soldier carried. It included several armor plates, including a helmet, the rifle, sidearm, and several rectangular-shaped objects that I did not know the use of. That I did not know the use for. There were also two ball-shaped items and an extremely sharp-looking metal stabbing weapon with one serrated edge. At the most basic level, how does your weapons function? The one called Thomas addressed me. Human weaponry fires metal projectiles called bullets. They can vary in size and purpose, but the basic ones look like this. He held up a small metal tube with a point. The point was a different color than the base, a light red compared to the golden tint of the base. The red section here is what is launched at the target. The base is filled with a combustible substance known as gunpowder. This piece on the back is called a primer. When inside a firearm, the trigger is pulled, causing a small hammer to strike the back piece of the bullet, igniting a small explosive inside called a primer. This small explosive causes the gunpowder to explode, launching the small projectile at very high speeds. The longer he explained, the more confused I was. 
They were using kinetic weapons. Kinetics were obsolete hundreds of years before my species became spacefaring. Not only that, but to have a small explosion that close to yourself. That had to be dangerous. You use kinetic weapons? How can you use kinetic weapons? They must not be effective at penetrating even my natural armor. On the contrary, the bullets are fired at well over supersonic speed. They have no problem penetrating. That could not possibly be true. You have managed to create weapons that can throw a projectile faster than the speed of sound. Do they stay controlled? The explosive inside doesn't harm the user. I tried to keep my composure. We switched to plasma weaponry so long ago because of how slow kinetics are. Yet somehow, these humans have figured them out. This could be invaluable as Plasma's main downside is the lack of penetration capability. No, they're relatively harmless to the user. How do the smaller, um, firearms work? Same concept, just smaller bullet. Thomas picked up a smaller cartridge off the table. This is a 9mm armor-piercing. He handed a small object to me. Such a little thing. There is no way it could do any significant damage. How do you load the bullets into the rifle? Thomas gestured to a rectangular object on the table. These are magazines. Standard capacity holds 45 cartridges each. They are inserted into the bottom of the rifle, where they are automatically feed into the chamber every time the round is discharged. When fired, the casing that holds the powder is discarded through the side of the gun. It just sounded so... off. My only conclusion is that I must be biased as what the human was saying made sense. It just was so different than anything I'd experienced before. I wanted to keep my professionalism. I am beginning to understand. Will I get to see a demonstration? Of course. Thomas gestured towards an area full of what must be targets behind him. That's what the range is for, but we can test them all at once if you want to see the other items. I gestured to the two circular objects on the table. What are those? Thomas chuckled softly, then responded. Those are hand grenades, small explosives you throw. That is ridiculous. They must be very weak explosives, so it won't hurt the thrower. How could they think that it was a good idea? There's no way that they can throw that accurately, though they did seem proportionately to have quite a bit of upper body strength. The human called Thomas picked one up. The way it works is the pin on the side is removed, once this happened, after the lever on the side is released, it'll detonate on a timer. When it explodes, the staggered mantle squares that make up the sides of the grenade are thrown in all directions, hopefully taking out the enemies with shrapnel. What was this human talking about? Do they mean to imply that they kill enemies with dirty shrapnel bombs? Not only that, but they throw them? How could they possibly expect to be able to throw it far enough and accurate enough? Composure be damned, I had to know. How can you possibly expect these to be effective? The two humans looked a little puzzled by my question. It looked as if they were trying to figure out how to respond. Finally, Thomas looked at me. The average human in their prime could throw one of these roughly 25 meters per second, on our homeworld's gravity anyway. Ah, that made sense. Their homeworld must have a very weak gravity if they could throw it as far and as fast.
We can't test them here, though, as we've halved the gravity generator production in preparation for your arrival. Knowing your homeworld's gravity, you would have been extremely uncomfortable in ours for an extended period of time. I feel the longer the human talks, the more confused I have. The gravity on Earth is at least twice that of mine. No wonder human weapons are so strange. They were made to fight on a literal hell of a planet. I composed myself. They explained it. Time to move on. I gestured to the large vehicles to the side of the room. What are those? This time the Sergeant Garrick smiled. Those are tags. End of chapter. Again, thank you, Andrew Allen and Tunnel Rat, for allowing me to do this and for commissioning me to do this. I hope that you have a wonderful birthday. And if you're interested in the story, there are links to both the Royal Road and Wattpad and Reddit threads for the story. So go check it out and support the author. Cheers. All right, all right. By popular demand, here we are with the second chapter of Human Weaponry called Vehicles. If you want there to be a third, you know what to do. Watch, watch again, watch it a third time just to make sure you understand, as well as the other YouTube gump. Tanks? What do you mean, tanks? Uh, tanks for what? Sergeant Garrick said in a confused, sounding voice. Um, uh, no. Uh, there are heavily armored fighting vehicles, but they're called tanks because, um, why are they called tanks, Thomas? It was originally for secret-keeping reasons. The first tank created by the British was codenamed as a water tank carrier. This was done so that the Central Powers didn't learn of the new weapon. That could be concerning. Humans have a history of espionage, although simply using a codename was nothing special. They were using it so long ago. Thank you, Thomas. Anyway, these are heavily armored fighting vehicles, Specifically, the current American main battle tank, the M1B5 Abrams. Fighting vehicles are common, but something told me that this was going to be a whole different level than what I'm used to. For one thing, multiple weapons were visible on the vehicle. I was only experienced with plasma mortars used for long-range barrages, which were very large and slow-moving. They needed a company infantry to ensure that they weren't flanked. It appears to have multiple weapon systems. Am I correct? Thomas looked at me. Yes, quite a few. Its main piece is a 150mm electrothermal chemical gun. Auxiliary armament includes four machine guns, one inside the turret and three mounted on the top. The larger of the four is a 12.7mm HMG and the other is a 7.62mm. The turret cheeks are equipped with eight smoke grenade launchers each. I didn't know anything about the gun, but I was confused about the last thing he mentioned. I thought grenades were supposed to throw shrapnel. Grenades are built with multiple uses. Foot soldiers usually carry fragmentation. Other types include smoke, anti-tank, concussion, and thermite. We can explain the others later if you like. We have them all here. I could infer the relative uses of each grenade mentioned, except for thermite. I would have to have them explain that to me later. So far, the tank was underwhelming. The auxiliary guns were simply sized up versions of those that I'd already seen. Additionally, the main weapon is not large, much smaller than the plasma mortars. 
Perhaps I was misunderstanding its purpose. What is the main gun used for? It's multi-purpose, depending on the ammunition load. The two most common being high-explosive anti-tank and armor-piercing fin-stabilized discarding sabot. How obsessed is the species with physical projectile ammunition? Their small arms might be useful, but there's no way this cannon could overpower its plasma counterpart. It wouldn't make much sense. Can you tell me the capabilities of the main armament? Sure. Keep in mind these measurements are in Earth gravity. Sabot rounds are fired at a velocity of roughly 2,100 meters per second. Target computer technology means that they are accurate within four miles. That's impossible. There is no way that that is true. You just physically cannot move a small, solid object that fast. Explain it to me. Well, uh, sorry to disagree with you, but they do indeed work. Thomas gestured towards the cannon. This is an electrothermal chemical gun or an ETC gun. He uses plasma cartridge to set off the ammunition's propellant. This ammunition is somewhat similar to the bullets you've seen. Aren't they serious? Not only did they discover the uses for plasma, but they also still decided to use kinetics. I was beginning to see a pattern. Do you have something against non-kinetic weapons? Well... A simple answer would be what we have now is efficient. However, there has been much research on laser weapons, where we don't use them against others. The UN has determined that they are too cruel. Laser weapons tend to not kill immediately. Plasma weapons melt clothes and armor to the wearer. Particle beam weapons cause radiation poisoning. We reserve them for anti-missile defense and non-weapon uses. That raised even more questions. Do humans have rules for war? Do humans still war with each other? Do humans have some sort of country conglomerate? Unfortunately, I'm here for the weapons that they are currently using. My curiosity would have to wait. However, I don't think I can wait any longer to see a demonstration. Can I see all of these tested? Of course, sir. We can start with the small handheld weapons, and I'll send for a tank crew to come and operate the Abrams. Sergeant Garrick walked back over to the table and picked up a rifle. He inserted a magazine into the bottom and pulled the handle on the back. He walked towards the range, then hesitated, and turned to me. How sensitive was your hearing? I hadn't thought about it. The human's ears are very flat and pressed against the side of the head. Compared to mine, which were angled to allow sound in and protrude from my head. Mine must be better than theirs. I decided just to assume that that was the case. My sense of hearing is somewhat more potent than yours. Why? Firearms are rather loud. It is an explosion, after all. Would one of those sets of ear protection fit you? See if one will fit, then turn the knob on the side. I looked over to where he gestured. There are a few sets in varying sizes. They had two padded circular pieces attached by a strap. Adjustable. Good. They looked a tad bit small. I picked one up and put them over my ears. A little uncomfortable, but better than going deaf. Once they were on, I turned the knob on the side, and suddenly I could hear again. Why can I hear? They amplify normal intensity sound and deafen sounds loud enough to hurt, like a gunshot. 
Now that was interesting. I could actually hear better than normal wearing these. Garrick walked over to the range. I'll aim at the target marked 20 yards. He aimed for a second or two and then pulled the trigger. Even with hearing protection, I could feel the shot. It was as if I had been pushed slightly, and the human didn't even move. I could smell the chemical propellant. It slightly stung. Then I noticed he only fired one projectile, and it had hit the target very close to the center. I was appalled. Plasma weapons were designed to shoot extremely fast to make up for the poor accuracy. This kinetic weapon had accurately hit the target in one attempt. The two humans looked at me expectantly. I composed myself and looked at the other weapons on the table. Can I try? End of chapter. Alrighty, you're all so excited about seeing a chapter 3 that you out-upvoted chapter 2. It has more than chapter 1. That is a little ridiculous. Hopefully you are as free-flowing with your thumbs up this round as you were with the previous one. Just a quick note, if I do do a chapter 4, it will be on Monday. I've been trying to be good and take weekends off. So, without further ado, this is Human Weaponry Chapter 3, called Demonstration. Garrick looked at Thomas from what I can tell of the human emotion. He looked like he was contemplating something. He faced me. Now, with a rifle held pointed down. I have no problems with you trying some of these, but I think we should start with a handgun first. They have less recoil. Normally, I would have scoffed at the idea that I would have any trouble with a hand weapon. However, having seen and felt the power of just one human firearm, I wasn't so sure. I was excited to try, but I also became plagued by visions of recoil breaking my arms. Sergeant Garrick moved over to what looked like lockers for storage. This was the first quiet moment I had, so I took the time to examine the military dress. He seemed to be wearing a uniform designed for combat. He was wearing a light undersuit with soft patterns of different shades of green and brown. He looked to be wearing black, heavy boots. By far the most interesting part of his dress is the plate armor. They are numerous. Two plates on each leg moving halfway up. The plates connected to the boots with the joint halfway up the knee. The largest plate, all set of plates, is on the chest piece. It covers his chest and back with a few intersecting plates, most likely for flexibility. There are plates for each shoulder, which are made up into two pieces connected by a joint so that the arm can move up and down. Two small plates rested on the human's arm joints, which makes sense. Joints are famously fragile. Finally, the human has two metal sleeves on his forearms, which connect to a small plate covering the back of the hand. The human also had black fabric covering over his manipulators, or hands. There looked to be a hard material covering many moving parts of his fingers. He is wearing something around his waist that is connected together with a clasp at the front. Multiple items were connected to it a holster for his sidearm, some large pack on the back, and many pouches on the front which looked to be the right size to hold the magazines that they mentioned. These same pouches exist on the front of the chest plate. So much ammunition storage. I assumed that in combat he would also be wearing a full face cover helmet that I saw. 
but now he was wearing some sort of hard fabric article on top of his head. You can start with one of the 9mm handguns. If you have no problems with us, then we can move up to the larger ones. That sounds like a good idea. I'd prefer to not seriously injure myself just trying to satiate my own curiosity. As he rummaged through the locker, I look at the other human, who was now writing something down on a rectangle electronic device about the size of his forearm. This individual is obviously not military. He's wearing a long white overcoat. In fact, the majority of his clothing is white, besides the light blue pants. They just seemed like something a civilian would wear. I'd been so mesmerized by the weapons that I hadn't noticed how every piece of clothing the humans were wearing seemed to have a function. He has some kind of glass piece in a frame covering his eyes. I think I'll ask him about it. Mr. Thomas? He, a little startled, looked up from his device. Yes, Moses? What are you wearing over your eyes? Oh, um, you mean my glasses? Yes, uh, the two lenses you're looking through. They correct my vision. Humans often are born with a relatively good vision but many of us are born with various conditions that limit that vision. I myself have one called hypopia, which means I can clearly see things far away, but not so well that things are close up. These lenses fix my vision, so I'm able to read. Confusing. They had clearly very advanced technology, but they restored it to a simple, fragile glass to fix it. I must take a mental note that vision problems are common amongst their humans. My own species has what I can only assume is much better vision. Are there any other ways that you can treat the vision conditions? Oh yes, many. Glasses are just the easiest way, and I think they're comfortable. Additionally, many people wear them to supplement fashion. The second most common way is called contacts, which are lenses like those on my glasses, except much smaller. They are pressed directly into the eye. Lastly, there's something called laser eye surgery, which involves a laser directly manipulating the shape of the corona in order to correct whatever mutation caused the bad eyesight. You, uh, you have a laser go directly into your eye? The one that is powerful enough to manipulate it. How is that a good idea? How could that possibly help anything? Look, Osus, I'm not a medical doctor. I cannot explain how exactly how it works. If you like, we could have one of the ship's medical staff come and talk to you. After saying that, Thomas went back to writing something down on his piece of tech. Garrick had appeared to find what he was looking for and walked back to me. He had what was clearly a firearm in his hand, but smaller than the others. In his other hand, he had a magazine. Okay, so I'll explain how to use it. Firstly, the safety rules. Rule 1... Gary paused as he looked at my hands. They were different from his. I only had three manipulators, and five of mine were longer. Always keep your finger off the trigger until you are ready to shoot. Do not aim the weapon at anything that you are not willing to destroy. Always treat the weapon as if it is loaded. Be aware of your target and what is behind it. Treat the weapon with respect. It is more than capable of getting anyone here. I'm fascinated. All of these rules were clearly premeditated. No doubt the same as what he had been told the first time he used a firearm. Now, how to use it. First, you take the magazine and insert it into the bottom here. 
Then, what you do is you pull back on the slide, which is the top section of the pistol. This puts a round in the chamber. Once this happens, it is ready to shoot. You do not need to pull the slide back for the subsequent shots. As the energy released by expanding gases of the firing pushes the slide back and loads another round. In order to shoot, you flip the safety switch here, then you aim and pull the trigger. Do you understand? Yes, it all makes sense. How do I aim? He held the weapon up and pointed at the three raised pieces. Two at the back, one at the front. You line up these three dots in your sights so that what you are trying to hit is in the middle. Rifles are easier to aim, but you can try them when we know that they won't hurt you. He handed me the weapon. It was lighter than I expected. We walked over towards the target range. I did, as I was told, although slightly awkward. It was clearly not made for my biology. I was able to load it and pull back the slide, which was more difficult than I expected, and brought it up to shoot. Hold on, try leaning forward. You want to be in the same position you'd be in if you were preparing to be pushed by something. I braced myself, held up the weapon, tried to aim at the target, and pulled the trigger. I didn't fall over. My arms didn't break, but gods, this thing kicked. I also missed the target, but I'm not too concerned. The chemical propellant burned my eyes and nose. It hurt my wrist joints, and it was awkward for me to use. And I loved it. So exhilarating, it felt like you were actually throwing the projectile. Plasma weapons had no recoil. I had never experienced anything like it. I looked over at Garrick, who had his teeth bared, although I had learned that this was how humans communicated. They were happy. I wanted him to know how much I enjoyed it, so I attempted to replicate the smile. He laughed. Enjoyed that, huh? Very much so. It's incredibly satisfying to shoot. You can keep going if you'd like. It has nine rounds left. I want to try that one. I gestured to the rifle on the table. Garrick smiled. All right, I'd recommend you keep to the semi-auto when you try it. Full auto causes more recoil. What's, um, full auto? End of chapter. Okay, so you guys outdid yourselves again by getting more likes on chapter 3 than on chapter 2. Well done. Confusing, but well done. Also, I spoke with the author, and there has been a significant increase in traffic on all the places the story has been posted. Well, that, I thank you all for supporting the author. It is very much appreciated. As always, I hope that you enjoy. Human Weaponry, Chapter 4, In Action Alright, you most human weapons are capable of rapid fire. All those machine guns mounted on the tank over there, this rifle, and many others. The difference is that on small arms such as these, Sergeant Garrick gestured towards the rifle, it is a select fire, meaning that you can choose to switch between one shot per trigger pull, or a continuous shooting until the trigger is let go. Not only are these weapons accurate, but they are capable of rapid fire too. Just like our plasma weapons. I looked over at the target dummy that we'd been shooting at. The rifle round fired by Garrick had torn a large hole in the middle of it. I can only imagine what it looked like after only a few seconds of sustained fire. There must be a downside though. 
I assume that rapid fire significantly reduces accuracy. You are correct. The recoil makes it much harder to accurately aim the weapon. So when it's used, most soldiers elect to burst fire. This is when they hold the trigger down for three or four shots before resetting. Thomas interjected. Additionally, less precision means in combat, constant use of rapid fire will deplete the soldier's ammunition supply quicker. That would seem to be the main downfall of physical ammunition. Even soldiers would have to carry hundreds of these projectiles on them. Plasma storage is much more compact. Garrick turned to me. No! This will sound a little strange, but you might feel less recoil shooting the rifle, rather than the small pistol. You have three points of contact, two on your hands, one on your shoulder. Additionally, this model is equipped with the recoil dampeners in the stock. I was starting to have second thoughts about trying the larger weapon. It clearly was not built for me. I picked it up, testing its weight. Not too heavy. I walked over to the testing range. It's already loaded and ready, correct? Yes! All you have to do is flip the switch on the side to semi-auto setting. I found the switch, moved it once, and brought the weapon up to my shoulder. This time, I was trying to aim. I took a deep breath, looked through the sight. This one was much easier to use. It had a shape with a dot in the middle, signifying where to aim. I put my finger on the trigger. I never did get to fire the weapon. It happened rather quickly. The loud alert system began blaring and the doors to the testing area closed. A robotic voice came over the speakers mounted in the wall. Alert! Incoming craft! Tag designation! Hostile! Sergeant Garrett looked at Thomas. Get to your quarters, Thomas! He nodded and jogged out of the room. Garrick then walked over to the table, took the fabric article off of his head, and put on a helmet I had seen earlier. He clicked into place, connecting to his chest armor. It made a sound almost like pressurization. He turned towards me, his once cheerful face now an emotionless, reflective material. He spoke, his voice now muffled. We need to move. Possible boarding craft or attack incoming. I assumed that he was receiving communications through his helmet, which was confirmed when he spoke again. How many? Now, oh, uh, I need to escort the VIP. Have Sergeant Edwin take my place. I'll get them to the bridge and help hold the bulkhead there. I had no idea what to do. I just stared at him. I didn't know anything about the ship. Why would there be an attack in our station? We're in the outskirt territory. We picked a station to meet the humans that is close to their space. We had no records of space-faring hostiles in this area. Garrick now addressed me as he picked up another rifle from the display. Three Floration boarding craft are incoming. One frigate out of point defense range. We're docked in your station so we can't rear the ship around to use the main cannon. They obviously know this. He loaded a magazine into the rifle. So, they're dispatching boarding parties. Floration? We have no record of such a species under that name, nor a hostile faction near here. That's the name we gave them. We need to move. Sergeant Garrick gestured for me to follow him and move towards the door, raising his weapon to check around the corner. I was about to follow, then hesitated. I moved back to the table and picked up a large pistol. 
Then I ran over to Garak. We were moving through the corridors. I saw many human soldiers running in formation, going to wherever their stations were to repel borders. The alarm continued to blare, now with slight modifications. Alert! Three incoming boarding craft! All active units move to your assigned bulkheads! We were just nearing the shop that was to take us up towards the bridge, as Garrick called it, when I was knocked over. Was it just me? Other human soldiers stumbled. The entire ship had shaken. One of the boarding craft had hit. I got back up and we kept moving. We got into the room that would move us up, and I began hearing the sounds of gunshots. The doors closed, and we started moving up. Sergeant Garrick spoke to me again. They're the reason that we were discovered by the Federation. We encountered a distress signal from deep space. I was on the UN ship that moved to assist. We found a ghost ship, but a trail left by an FTL jump. We followed it and found some kind of camp holding the crew hostage. We stormed it and freed them. When the crew returned to the conglomerate space, they told the Federation about us. That's not true. We had been watching your planet, waiting for you to discover faster-than-light travel. My voice was shaky. Sorry, Ozus. While we are young species as it relates to FTL, the Federation thought it better not to alert the galactic public that the new slaver species. This could not be happening. The galactic community hadn't seen a slaver species in decades, although if what this human was saying was true, that could be a lie. He was right. The discovery of a slaver species could throw the conglomerate into chaos, as the different members fight over what to do about it. Why am I objecting to their existence? They would have come from an area near human systems, an area largely unexplored. The door opened. We ran through the corridors, seeing fewer human soldiers now. A thick door opened in front of us, and we moved in. Apparently, humans or at least Americans, called the control room of their ship the bridge. There were soldiers dressed in the same way as Garrick, all with guns trained on the door. When we got in, Garrick spoke into his helmet again. VIP is secure. How, copy? I followed him as he moved over to the screen of some sort. He pulled up a video feed from cameras around the ship. He flipped through different views multiple times until he landed on one with the fight visible. I watched as four human soldiers were defending a corridor, using storage boxes as cover. Three dead humans lay on this ground. A large group of aliens I had never seen before were firing some form of projectile weapons at the humans. They were awful to look at. Gray, four large arms, they were scaled like me. I watched as two of them were taken down by defending soldiers. This was the first time I had seen human weapons used against organics. They were effective. Each floration that they hit sprayed their comrades with blood and chunks of scales. I watched and grimaced as one more human soldier was struck in the chest, sparking off his body armor. The plate didn't hold, and it knocked him onto the ground. A pool of red starting to form around him. The three soldiers retreated. Garrick shook his head and switched to another camera. Your station security is moving to assist, but it's not equipped to handle this. Seems like you all weren't expecting an attack here. There wouldn't be any armed security here normally. 
this is a research station. We have no records of hostiles in any system near here. Garrick let out a large breath. I'm sending out a distress signal. If we can't deal with this ourselves, we'll need help. I can only hope that they'll get you in time. In my attack, they weren't ready for us. We dealt with them quickly. This explorations are behaving much more organized. Uh, we may be experiencing a military force rather than pirates. What are we going to do? If we successfully repel this attack, we'll disengage from our dock with your station and attack the enemy frigate. There were windows in the front of the room. I walked over to them. I could see the boarding craft and they slammed into the hangars that held the smaller craft that I'd seen earlier. The point defense turrets had rotated to aim at the enemy frigate, which was just barely visible, most likely in preparation for potential further boarding attacks. I turned back to Garrick, who was now talking to another soldier dressed in combat gear. I had to ask, how did they surprise us? They came out of FTL absurdly close. We obviously didn't expect an attack here. Point defense wasn't operational. If they try and send a boarding party again, they won't make it. I'm sorry, Ozus. Have to go assist. Stay here with the command crew. They'll keep you safe. Sergeant Carrick ran out the door, which closed behind him. I found myself genuinely worried for him. I looked down. I still had the human weapon in my hand. I feared that I might have to use it. End of chapter. That other day, another human weaponry. Pew pew, as I say. What will our valiant characters get up to in this episode? Well, stick around and find out. Chapter 4 didn't overtake Chapter 5 in likes, but it is understandable, seeing as Chapter 4 has only been out for 24 hours, whereas Chapter 5 has been out for longer than 24 hours. Can't count that high. Many, many, many more hours. But anyways, good job. It's already almost bordering on 2,000. Let's see if we can beat that on this one. Anyways, story time. Go. Human Weaponry, Chapter 5. Ship to Ship. The hangar is locked and secured. We can disengage, Doc. Wait for the all clear. We still have squads holding up borders at Hangar 2 and Bulkhead 14. Bring systems for the primary railgun online, arm point defense, and open forward ironhead missile pods. I don't know how anyone could understand what they were supposed to do. The command crew was shouting orders to each other and their communications devices. It was all so hectic. They ran to and from various stations. I hope Sergeant Garrick is okay. The sound of gunfire had slowed, but it had been a ruthless fight from what I'd seen on the cameras. One of the humans here seemed to be a commanding officer of some sort. She sat in the middle of the bridge, overseeing everyone. One of the command crew addressed her. Captain, Bulkhead Charlie 14 reports that they took out the last of the boarding party. Seven human casualties. So she was the ship's captain. I assume that meant that she was the highest in power here. Get a medic to them. They're the furthest from the med bay. All systems still online. Their second boarding craft detonated turret falls ammunition. We can't repair it here. Turrets 1 through 3 and 5 to 8 are still operational. Very well. Turn them to face forward. When we disengage, Doc, we are going to attack the enemy frigate. All the forward turrets, as they called them, moved to face the front of the ship. 
The ground shook as they all began turning. One human stood up quickly. He had heard something on his communications device. Captain Hangar 2 is reporting that the last of the first boarding party has surrendered. Four individuals, one badly injured, five confirmed human casualties. All right, see if the med bay can do anything about the injured one. Put the rest of them in the brig, under heavy guard. Disengage from the dock. Hold onto your helmets, people. The speakers came on again. Alert! Disengaging from station dock. In three, two, one. I had sat down in a human seat in preparation. A bit small for me, but I was relieved that I did. The entire ship shook as it broke away. Two humans fell over on the bridge. The captain looked at me with a look that I could only describe as concern. Then she seemed to make up her mind about something. Re-engage 1G gravity generation. We need to be running at full efficiency. Everything was immediately uncomfortable. I could still function, but so sluggish. Everything was so heavy. I strapped myself to the seat. Something told me that it was going to be hard to be standing soon. The captain started barking orders again. Engage inertial dampeners, then rear the ship around. We are going to try and hit them with the main cannon while we're still out of their weapon range. We began moving. The inertial dampeners definitely worked. We were turning fast. We moved forward and went around the station, so we were between it and the enemy ship. Captain, incoming projectiles estimated time to impact, 30 seconds. How much do we have to move to avoid them? Not much. But they'll strike the station if we do, and it's not shielded. Let them come then. Run calculations for the main cannon. A robotic voice came over the bridge speaker. Target locked. Frigate class beginning firing solution. Estimated time to impact. Two minutes. The captain yelled. Hold that order. Wait for the impact. We run the risk of hitting one of their projectiles with the main cannon. Enemy projectile impact in five, four... Three. I clenched and held on tightly to the small human chair. I could see others doing the same. Two. One. Impact. I looked out the front window. It was incredibly loud. I watched as the projectiles impacted on shielding. The shields held, but I felt like someone had thrown me. I'd banged my head into the nearby table when we were hit. Fire when ready. Alert! Beginning primary railgun firing sequence. I thought that I would never experience anything more jarring than being in a ship as it got hit with projectiles while also being in twice my comfortable gravity. That was before I experienced the power of a human ship's main railgun. I made the mistake of looking towards the front of the ship when it fired. In an instant, I was blinded by the bright muzzle flash and it was as if my entire skeleton was going to shake out of my skin. It was now that I learned how tough the humans are. None of the crew or soldiers on the bridge with me seemed phased by the shot. My vision began coming back. There was now a visual representation of the enemy ship in the middle of the room, presumably to see the damage done by the railgun. Although we could have about two minutes before the projectile hit or missed, even with how fast it was going. I turned to the human sitting at the station next to me. Will they not detect the projectile before getting hit? He looked at me startled. He had been very focused on whatever he was doing. 
They might. It's moving incredibly fast, and it's hard to detect, but we don't know what their scanning capabilities are. It was a tense minute as we all watched the ship, waiting. The hit was supposed to happen in less than 20 seconds. Evidently, the Florisians saw it coming, as I began burning the main engines at full power. I was too late, though. All of it served to do was make the shot hit the rear engines of the ship rather than the center. I was here to learn about human small arms. Nothing I learned there could have prepared me for the destructive potential of human shipboard weapons. Had I not seen the small kinetic weapons earlier, I would have scoffed at the notion of a ship's primary armament being kinetic. There simply ceased to be a back portion of the enemy ship. It was completely removed by the railgun. Any shielding or armor it might have had was completely nullified. Captain, enemy frigate has been disabled. Right. Good hit. Let's send out a search and rescue teams. End of chapter. As of the recording of this, we're just a teeny tiny bit away from 2,000 likes on yesterday's video. Hopefully, this video can improve on that. I give you the mission. Go! But for me, I shall continue the story. And here we go. Human Weaponry, Chapter 6. Empathy. I want armed squads on those search and rescue birds. We're going to hail them for surrender. But they may not be so cooperative. There are potentially non-combatants on board, so check your targets. Everyone else, relay orders to your respective stations. We are continuing to operate under Combat Alert Alpha. More enemy contacts could drop out of FTL at any moment. That must be it. They were going to see if any hostages were on board the Ferocian ship. Surely the captain was not implying that we were going to save the slavers on board that attacked us. The captain was wearing a white formal military dress. Various medals and identifications covered her chest and shoulders. She also wore a fabric dressing on her head much like Sergeant Garrick was wearing earlier, only more rigid and a different shape. She looked to another human in a white uniform who was sitting in front of a screen to her right. What's our projected time of arrival? Accounting for acceleration and deacceleration, we're looking at nine minutes. She then looked at me. This was the first time that she had addressed me, and she actually knew my name. Moses. You need to get back to Sergeant Garrick and his team. You'll be moved to a bulkhead safe room. They'll keep you safe until we're able to get you back to your people. I hadn't expected her to talk to me. Yes, of course. Thank you, um, Captain. I saw the faintest hint of a smile at the corner of her lips, then went to two humans who gestured for me to follow them. They were also dressed in full combat gear. I thought maybe I could experience some casual conversation with two regular soldiers, rather than the formal speech of the majority of the humans that I had spoken to till now. I had several questions. I thought it might distract me from having to walk at the human's pace while also being under the strain from the increased gravity. Though, I was getting used to it. Are your suits pressurized? The two humans looked at each other, even though their visors were reflective. It was easy to tell that they hadn't expected to be asked questions by me. One finally spoke, 
a much deeper voice than Garrick's. Yes, vacuum rated in an oxygen supply of 15 minutes. What's the purpose of the varying colors of green and brown? Camouflage. But the entire ship is gray, whites and tans. It doesn't blend in here. Camouflage for ground use. We're drop troopers. Earth planet life is mostly shades of green and the soil brown. It would most likely not make sense to switch to dress that shared colors of the interior of the ship. Then every soldier would need two uniforms. Not to mention that it wouldn't be nearly as effective with how close quarters everything is. The human said something though. Said that they were drop troopers. Curious. What does drop trooper mean? We're special forces. That's why we were assigned to the bridge. We're drop troopers because we were trained to drop into battle from orbit in personal pods. I had nothing to say to that. We got into the same lift that brought me up to the bridge. And now understood why I wasn't led to the safe room immediately. As we passed many bodies and remnants of battle on the way there. Human medics were tending to the wounded. But not just human wounded. They were trying to help the disabled invaders too. What was the point in wasting valuable medical supplies on them? Had the humans not been there, they undoubtedly would have kidnapped and sold me and everyone on my station. Why did they deserve help? I just couldn't stand it. I moved over to a male human medic, in the process of tying some sort of band around the unconscious Florician's arm, which had been mangled. Why are you helping it? The man looked to be older. He had grey hair on his face. His mouth was covered with some sort of mask. He did not look up from his task. Ned's wounded. It would have killed every one of us if given the chance. He finished tightening the band and began spraying some sort of foam onto the wound on the creature's chest. I am aware. Then what is the point? The human still did not look up from his task. The soldiers behind me were trying to get me to continue with them, but probably didn't have the authority to force me. He said in a more methodical voice, no doubt quoting something. I will follow that system of regimen which, according to my ability and judgment, I consider for the benefit of my patients and the abstain from whatever deleterious and mischievous. If I leave this intruder to die, I am partaking in what is deleterious. I would be committing harm through my own apathy. Now please, DBP, I am more wounded to tend to. With that, he rose, satisfied with his work on the mangled black slaver. He left me, speechless, and staring down at it. This creature fought with what appeared to be so much bloodlust. He most likely killed human defenders. I could not see it as sapient. It was a thing, a dangerous cancer to be eradicated. And yet, the human treated it as one of their own. Only after seeing that, did I realize that there were tears in its eyes. And Miller was looking at me. End of chapter. Alrighty. You know the drill by now. Another day, another human weaponry. Many much likes and views need to happen on this video. You know the drill. Like, view, watch, rewind, view, rewind, view. 
you're probably noticing a pattern. Anyway, story time initiate. Human Weaponry, Chapter 7, Breach and Clear. So we eventually made it to the disabled ship. The human command hailed him and got no response. I was able to watch the events unfold through the monitors in the safe room. Sergeant Garrick was thankfully alright. He had been grazed by a projectile in his abdomen, but was refusing treatment until the more critically wounded were taken care of. When I found him, he was wiping blood off of his knife onto his sleeve. I watched helmet camera footage from the soldier escorting the medical team on the transport ship. They were going to board the enemy frigate and look for survivors. On their way to the ship, they were not shot at. Any communication devices must have been located at the back of the flourishing ship, as no calls for aid or surrender could be detected. It was difficult to dock. The ship had begun moving at full power before it had been hit with the railgun. Now it and all of its debris from the mangled engine portion of the ship were still moving at the same momentum. This forced the human cruiser to keep pace with it. I knew one thing now, though. Just because the humans were saving these creatures, it did not mean that they were friends. Every single gun on the cruiser was strained on that frigate. I switched to another helmet camera, this time on the first entry soldier. They were going to make sure everything was clear before the medical teams boarded. They attached and cut their way through the thin portion of the hull. When they entered, they were greeted with darkness. Much of the ship's power supply had been destroyed. Smaller functions like the lighting had been reduced to favor life support and gravity. The squad turned on portable lights on their guns and helmets. Slowly, they moved through the hallways. They had yet to see a single sign of life. Were it not for the furniture and personal effects around, one might have thought that it had been abandoned long ago. There was simply no one here. Before the boarding process, the USS Indianapolis had done a scan of the frigate, and when it was close enough, it was done to determine if the ship would stay intact long enough for boarding. It was also able to locate the important parts, such as where the command crew would most likely be. The squad was moving for that position to hopefully find the command crew and force a surrender if they hadn't already. They were moving towards a large door, their firearms swaying, checking every corner. They had two humans stay back at the hallway entrance, covering their exit. The door to the command room was locked shut, either on purpose or a malfunction after the engines were hit. One of the humans, who was carrying a different, bulkier-looking firearm compared to the others, approached the door. He took off a bag on his back and retrieved some sort of rectangular device that he had stuck to the floor. He then motioned for everyone to get back. They all retreated behind the walls of the hallway entrance, peeking around the corner with guns aimed at the door. The man pulled out a smaller device and with his other hand counted down from three on his fingers. When he reached zero, he squeezed the device. Suddenly, the door that they were working on exploded. Gods, had they fallen into a trap? I looked around frantically. No one seemed concerned. Sergeant Garrick was simply looking at the monitors. What was that explosion? 
Raging charge. You mean I was deliberate? I thought it was a trap. Gotta get through the door somehow. He was, of course, correct as usual. When the smoke cleared, the door was definitely open. Or, well, more like there was a hole where the door used to be. There were lights still on in the control room. No signs of enemy contact. The humans prepared to breach the room. One took out a small cylindrical device from his pocket on his chest. He laid his guns down and pulled something off the device. Once he did, he yelled, Stun going out! And threw it through the door. Everyone put their heads down. Seconds later, a loud bang and a flash of light came through the door. Then all the soldiers rushed him, firearms trained downwards. They got in and swept the room, only to one by one see what had happened. Some dropping their firearms in the slings, the first to enter dropping to his knees. No one said a word. All of the humans in the safe room stared in shocked silence at the monitors. Before them sat the entire Florician command crew, all what was left of them, all dead, every one of them dead with a wound to the head, and their own coil guns laying beside them. They saw us coming and committed mass suicide. The soldiers composed themselves. One who was in command faced the rest. Nothing we can do for them now. Let's continue sweeping. One radioed back to an operator, still on the cruiser. Did the results of the bioscan come in yet? We only got two blips in the lower level. One in what looks like the brig, and another in a room adjacent. The human squad began moving to the designated area. Now that they had passed the control room, they had kept seeing more and more bodies. All seemed to be victims of their own weapon. However, I noticed that all of the individuals who had killed themselves were dressed differently than those that boarded us. They had different uniforms, seemingly more formal in nature. I had yet to see any designated for combat. The way the humans moved was fascinating. Every visible spot around them was constantly viewed by at least one of them as they swept the rooms with their rifles. They clearly were very experienced. I then noticed something that may be just myself breaching, but I was fairly certain that these soldiers were aiming slightly higher than normal, compensating for the extra height of the Florician soldiers had on them. They slowly and methodically made their way towards what was expected to be the brig. Many areas had lost power to the lights, as well as some doors that had to be forced open by the humans. They finally got into the entrance of the brig, it laid in front of them. The room was pitch black. The adjacent room was down the hallway, which also had life signs. They had to get through the brig to get to the next room. The flashlights showed that the room was a long hallway with individual doors lining the sides. The soldiers spoke in hushed tones now. We need more visibility, Carson. Throw flare. The larger human from earlier, that are now new as Carson, took out an object from his pocket on his waist. He took a piece off the top, dropped it, and struck the main object on the pad located on the thigh armor piece. This caused the stick to combust in a bright, light blue light. Garston then threw it down the hallway, illuminating all the doors, including the bulkier-looking one at the end. Garston had a weapon I hadn't seen before. 
He didn't have a long rectangular ammunition holder at the bottom like the rifles I had seen. It was larger, with some sort of sliding object on the bottom of the barrel. They began slowly moving through the hallway. Carson addressed his squad leader. Should we check the doors first or go for the other life sign in the next room? These look to be holding cells, sir. Shouldn't be a threat to us. The next room may have combatants in it. Let's blow the door open. Another human sighed loudly and turned around. Jesus, Mike. Just try to open the fecking door first before you go blowing crap up again. Shut your hole, Jackson. Carson, try to open the door. My first experience with what must be human slang, or at least American slang. They seemed to use words for emphasis. The sentence would have the exact meaning if those words were removed. Everyone stacked behind Carson as he made his way to the door. Breach! In three, two, one. Carson pushed the door, and it opened. Then he was immediately struck in the shoulder plate by a projectile and knocked to the ground. The humans scattered and dragged Carson behind the wall. They were preparing to engage whatever was in the room when something happened. Frantic screaming came from inside, a language no one understood. It sounded like multiple voices arguing with each other. Then a sound of struggle. Then silence. Seconds later, a coil gun was thrown through the open doorway, where it landed on the floor in front of the confused humans. Are they surrendering? The squad was confused about what to do. One of the humans looked through the door and spoke. Guys, look! When they turned the corner, they were greeted with a scene. Four Florician individuals, three dressed in combat gear, one in the formal wear we saw in the command room. However, the one in formal wear was unconscious or dead on the ground, and the three others were standing around it and looking at the humans. They were unarmed. One of them slowly moved over to the control panel on the wall, being aimed at at multiple human weapons. They pressed something on the panel, and all the cell doors behind the humans opened. End of chapter. Okay, okay, another one, just like the other one, as they used to say. But this is the last one for the week. You're gonna have to take a little bit of a break over the weekend. I know, a tragedy. But you know what to do over the weekend. It gives you a chance to catch up, watch again, and yes, I know, rewind and all of that stuff. But because the next chapter is really, really, really short, I'll make this one a double for the weekend. Okay, here we go. Human Weaponry, Chapter 8, Shotgun. The human squad had no way of knowing what was behind the doors. They rushed into the room with the presumably surrendered Florisians, all subtly damned at that point. They grabbed the standing creatures and threw them through the doorway, and trained their weapons towards them and the now open cell doors. Florisians were trying to speak, waving their large arms. We didn't know their language. However, they weren't directing their speech at the humans. Rather, they were talking to whatever was in the cells. The same language answered back, if in weaker tones. One of the Florisians entered a cell. A seconds later returned to the hallway, helping another Florisian walk. It looked to be another of the combat class that we had seen earlier, although some of its armor was missing. There were at least a dozen cells, and this continued to happen. More and more imprisoned individuals walking out into the hallway, facing the blinding lights from the humans and the bright, 
flickering blue light from the flare. Eventually, it was a pretty large group, and they were just standing there. The humans slowly began to lower their weapons. This group could have charged the squad if they wanted to. The soldiers were confused about what to do. They couldn't just trust these individuals, even if they had demonstrated that they weren't hostile. A soldier I hadn't heard the name of addressed the captain. We need to figure out a way to get them to swap places with us. We're trapped in this... He didn't finish. An unconscious Borishan in formal wear from earlier had found some more lift in it, as it charged behind the talking soldiers and sank its claws deep into the neck and back, getting him instantly. The success was short-lived, though, as Carson, even while injured, was the first to act. He raised a bulky firearm and pulled the trigger. It let out a deafening blast. The Florician's chest completely exploded, and its body was thrown into the wall. The entire console and desk that aligned it were coated in blood and scales. I stared at the screen in shocked silence. This new weapon had so much raw destructive power I hadn't seen before. I hardly noticed that the other humans frantically trying to stop the bleeding as two humans brought the guns back to waste crowd. Carson pulled the bottom slide back on the gun and a small red cylindrical object flew out. He then walked over to the Florisians, grabbed the nearest one and stuck the sidearm to its head, then began slowly moving through the crowd of about 16 individuals while hiding behind the new hostage. I noticed that Carson, being the largest human I had seen so far, was the only one who was about the same height as the Florisians. He motioned for the other humans to follow him, and they did. Once they were at the entrance of the hallway, he pushed the hostage back into the brig area. The whole time, the group just watched the soldiers in silence, not making any move toward them. A couple that had been in the cells were slumped against the wall. The humans stopped at the entrance, still with their firearms strained on the bunch in front of them. I don't know what they were planning to do. It looked like they were preparing to execute the group. That didn't seem like something that they would do. Knowing what I now know about the humans and their propensity to show mercy. The commander of the squad, that I knew was named Mike, addressed the operator. We need reinforcements and a medical team who got wounded. This group here is docile. Tell secondary teams to look for individuals wearing formal military dress rather than combat gear. With that, another human motioned at the Florician group to get back. He was herding them into the small room at the end of the hallway. I assume that this was because it only had one entrance and that they could better keep track of them that way. As he moved back to the squad, he peeked into the cells and shook his head. There was blood and other bodily fluids all over the place and no furniture. Just a barren room with a single light. End of chapter. Human Weaponry Nuclear Much had happened since the events that took place hours ago. I was still on the human ship now given a vacant quarters to rest until I was able to return home. The human squad had waited until they were reinforced. Those Florisians that were able-bodied and the group were restrained and brought aboard the ship's brig. The rest were carried to the medbay, though still under armed supervision. Any alive individuals found were dressed in combat gear, not the formal dress that we had seen of the command crew. So many suicides... Other groups of them in combat gear were found, 
most in worse condition than the first. One group was found to have been lined up against a wall and gunned down by two Fruitians in formal wear, who then killed themselves. Those of the combat class made no attempt to resist the humans. Oh, I wouldn't be so resistant to it if I had a horrid human weapons aimed at my face. Not to mention the fact that the alternative was apparently being killed by my leadership. I was supposed to be here for weapons demonstration, although I suppose that is what I got, just not in a conventional way. I had expected to see some human small arms shoot some synthetic targets, not a slavish chest exploding after it was hit with a shotgun blast. That's what Garrick had told me. It was called a shotgun, the larger one that Carson was carrying, designed for close quarters engagement. A whole other class of small arms I hadn't even been introduced to yet. A new one, at least. Carson's shotgun was experimental. Apparently, designed after the first engagement between the Floritians and humans. He said that it was an 8-gauge, dual-mode, dual-tubular shotgun, with the most advanced recoil dampener tech that they could come up with. They decided that after facing a large foe in the first contact, they needed a larger shotgun shell than the traditional 12-gauge that they had used before. I can't imagine why. The weapons I've seen have been more than effective. But why would I question it, though? They clearly had a tendency for overkill. They put me in some sort of room for their leadership. There was a bed, a waste disposal, a desk with a chair, and a storage cabinet. I had a window next to the bed that looked out into space. That's where I was now, on the bed. It was a bit too short for me, but compared to the average human, I am very long and thin. I managed to sort of curl up on it. They had even given me some rest clothing. It was incredibly baggy. As a human, my height would be very wide as well. It was comfortable, though, and I certainly didn't want to lay down in a uniform. They at least kept my modesty. Even with the larger size, there was still a gap between the end of my shirt and my waist pants, or sweats, as the humans who delivered them called them. The only thing they couldn't substitute was shoes when they found out that I don't wear any. I couldn't sleep, though. I was still too excited from the day's events. There was a screen on the wall adjacent to my head, which I suspected could provide entertainment, but I had yet to figure out how it worked. In fact, there were many forms of human technology in this room I didn't know how to use. One was sitting on the desk. It was a sleek, small screen connected to a flat part with individual buttons. Each button had a letter, number, or symbol from the English alphabet. My translator was an implant, which also allowed me to read other languages, compared to the human translator, which only worked with speech. There was a knock at the door. I rose. I didn't really want to be seen like this. I grabbed one large piece of fabric on the bed and wrapped it around myself, then went to the door and opened it. It was Sergeant Garrick. Now, not in combat gear, but still military dress. Only his abdomen was bandaged. Sergeant Garrick, isn't it your time to sleep? Yes, Garrick is fine, Ozus. Yes, it is, but I can't. Too much adrenaline from earlier. Adrenaline? Why would you have adre- What? I'll ask later. Never mind. Did you need something from me? Just wanted to let you know that we'll be interrogating some of the Fruitians in the morning, given that you're our main messenger to your species right now. 
I'd like you to be there. I'll sit in. Garrick looked at me and chuckled. You look comfortable. It must have been quite the sight, and I'm guessing that this wasn't the intended use for these fabrics. Well, uh, the clothes provided don't entirely cover me up. Don't worry at all, I'll be joking with you. I'm going to return to my quarters. I'll have someone come and get you when it's time. He turned to walk out and then stopped. Oh, uh, if you are bored, there's a laptop on the desk and a guest login so there's no password. It has internet access and there are pamphlets on how to use it in the desk drawer. Hit any button and it'll start up. Good night, Ozus. He walked away down the hallway. I closed the door. I was about to get back in bed and then looked at the laptop that he was talking about. I suppose I had a few hours. Might as well try it. He didn't give me a chance to ask any questions. The main one being what the internet is. I suppose it's hard to remember that everything needs to be explained to me, especially when most of these things are probably trivial to Garrick and the every other human. I sat down at the desk. The chair, like most things, was a bit too small. I had to sit a little sideways to stretch my legs out. The pamphlet was where he said it was, along with the thin white sheets and what looked to be tools, small and cylindrical with a point at the end. Some were plastic, some looked to be softer, a yellow material. The pamphlet said that another object called a mouse was connected to the laptop, and this was how I would control what I'm doing. This is going to take a while to learn. Turns out, I was right. It did take a while. It took me another two hours to learn simply how to control the thing. I had learned what the internet was, though. A massive public database. Endless text entries, videos, pictures, and seemingly any topic. This was only useful if you knew what to look for, though. I opted to search for weapons in the search bar, and I was met with an over a billion results. The first that came up were the very old, needy weapons and pre-space age humanity. It made sense. Modern human weapons were generally referred to by names like firearms. It was incredibly fascinating to see how different parts of Earth had created different melee weapons, and so many types too. Swords, axes, spears, lances, knives, maces. Seems as though they were always adapting to kill each other. However... I soon found a different article, an extremely concerning one. I read the title multiple times to make sure that I had seen it correctly. It read, 200-year-old UN treaty banning testing of nuclear weapons abandoned in the wake of the Florissian conflict. Nuclear weapons. Of course they had them. I searched next for nuclear weapons. So many entries. There was no way I could sleep now. I had reading to do. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment, just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one, and until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.